the episode today will be a little different. It's going to be a recording of a Zen talk, or in Japanese, a Teisho, T-E-I-S-H-O, that I gave a few days ago at a retreat. So, hope you enjoy it. This is the October 3rd, 2021 Zazen Kai. So, if a friend asked you, what is Zazen like? What might you answer? You might talk about the posture, folding your legs, keeping a straight back, trying to focus, be mindful on one thing, let thoughts go. You could give a lot of examples of uh, parts of what Zazen is. But what if your friend heard all of that and said, no, I want to know what it's really like? What would you say then? Right. You're going to have to just do it to know what it's like. It would be like someone coming up to you and saying, what is the color red like? Or, what is the taste of a peach? How would you answer that? You might say, well, the taste of a peach is the taste of a peach. And if you want to know it, you're just going to have to take a bite. So this realm of Zen practice is highly experiential. It's also, in many ways, in essence, indescribable because it's utterly personal, utterly intimate. In the uh, first koan of the Mumon Khan, the koan Mu, One way of putting this is in the commentary where it says it's like a person drinking water. Only they know for themselves whether it's hot or cold. Another way this has been expressed is it's like a dumb man. In other words, someone who can't speak. It's like a dumb man trying to tell you last night's dream. This is how intimate the real world is. Not the world of description, not the world of concepts, judgments, comparisons, but your actual real experience. It's always intimate. Now things get really difficult when someone might want from you a description of what awakening is. What is enlightenment? I mean, don't tell me what it means. Don't tell me its significance. Don't tell me details about what is realized. I want to know what it's really like. How would you answer that? 
Well, one Zen master said, not even a Buddha can say a word about the realm from which thoughts come or emanate. Not even a Buddha, no Bodhisattva can say a word about this realm from which thoughts emanate. So we may name this world, we may call it Mu. Now, Mu means literally nothing or nothingness. As you know, it's a pictogram in Chinese of a pile of hay that's on fire. The implication being what happens when this thing burns completely away. That's one way to think of Mu. But still, you can't describe it. Wang Po, a very well-known Tang Dynasty Zen master, um, put it this way. He was trying to describe this Mu, this Buddha nature what you could call mind with a capital M, or truth with a capital T. So I put it this way. This is a really beautiful line from a book called The Zen Teachings of Wang Po. This was uh, assembled and translated by John Blofeld. So Wang Po says, Our original Buddha nature is, in highest truth, devoid of any atom of objectivity. It is void, omnipresent, silent, pure. It is glorious and mysterious, peaceful joy, and that is all. Enter deeply into it by awakening to it yourself. That which is before you is it in all its fullness, utterly complete. There is naught beside. That's N-A-U-G-H-T. There is naught beside. So when we uh, zoom out and take a look at the uh, entire curriculum, we might say, of koans, there is a commonality there. Koans are often pointing at this state. So this is a state. It's not objective. It's a condition. It's an experience. Even those words don't match it because Condition suggests, or state suggests, the presence of something that is in that state, or has that condition, or has that experience. It connotes that there's a subject, and the state then is its object, but this is just pure, singular. One word that's sometimes used in Zen is just, only. 
can't be expressed. Not even a Buddha can say a word about this source from which thoughts proceed, emanate. But remember, you can't even really say a word about the color red or the taste of a peach. This is not an unusual thing. So koans are using poetry, let's say, to point at this state. And or to point at how this state is, let's say, melted into the world of forms, feelings, thoughts, objects situations, yellow flowers being twirled, dried shit sticks, three pounds of flax. So it's kind of the association, the mingling of this thing that can't be spoken of, which we call Buddha nature, and the world of phenomenon. So if we look at um, the five ranks of Tozan, I've mentioned these many times in the past, the first rank, the title of the first rank, and these are poems, so the first rank is called The Apparent Within the Real. Let's look at those words for a sec. So here, apparent means that which appears. It suggests individual appearances, situations, feelings, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, sensory touches. And the real is what? What is the meaning of real? We could say actual true, fact, this. In Zen it's often put this way as thusness, thusness, that something appears, that it presents, that it is. So the apparent within the real is the apparent, the world of form, swallowed up by this, that, Buddha nature, mind. Sometimes this basic source, which it's also called, source with a capital S, is depicted in Buddhism by the lotus flower. So it's a beautiful, circular, symmetrical, intricate flower whose roots go down into the mud of a pond in which it's in. It's kind of like related to lily pads. So out of the mud of 
whatever delusions we are continually immersed in, emerges this pure lotus flower. But even that is just a poetic pointing at something that can't quite be described. So let's take a look at this very simple short koan in the Hekigan Roku. It's case number 21. And the title of this case is Chimon and the Lotus. So Chimon was a Zen master and he happened to be the teacher. I'm sorry. The, his teacher was Secho who was one of the two masters who compiled the Hekigan Roku. So Secho would make uh, commentaries on each of the koan. And Secho was the teacher, was the student of Chimon. So Chimon was the teacher of Secho. So this particular koan, when Secho comments on it, He's commenting on something that happened, a conversation between his teacher and a monk. I don't know, perhaps the monk was Secho himself. Just to say who the other author of the Hekigan Roku was, uh, his name was Engo or Yuan Wu. So Secho was in Chinese Xuedo, Xuetu. And Engo was Yuan Wu. Yuan Wu is quite famous for uh, the translations of a book, uh, which were his letters to his disciples and lay people. It's an absolutely amazing, stunning piece of Zen literature. And it's called Zen Letters. So, this koan, case number 21, is called Chimon and the Lotus. So, here's the case. A monk asked Chimon, How is it when the lotus flower is not yet emerged from the water? Chimon said, A lotus flower. Then the monk asked again, What about after it has emerged from the water? Chimon answered, Lotus leaves. How does one approach a koan like this? Well, the first thing we can ask ourselves is, where did this interchange come from? Now, I don't mean where was the location, who were the people involved, but what state of mind were these protagonists coming from? What awareness, what realization? Now, we have to also be able to decode this koan and that's a very important part of working on any koan, either in the Mumon Khan, the Hekigan Roku, Shoyu Roku. There's many 
collections of koan. And when we understand that these koan came from the Tang and Sung dynasties, and that the way that Chinese masters and disciples communicated was poetic, it was symbolic. Sometimes it was quite plain, but very often in these koan, it's, there's a code that's being spoken. You have to be able to pierce this code. It helps to have a teacher that explains, perhaps, something that is not uh, at all obvious about the language used. But you also have to have tasted it. If you taste the state, the code is broken, shall we say. It's like you, once you taste the state, experience it directly, once you know red from the inside, you have the Rosetta Stone. You may not be able to express it directly to anyone else, but you know what it is. So let's look at the code here. So the monk asked Chimon, how is it when the lotus flower is not yet emerged from the water? So we have to ask ourselves, what does this monk mean by lotus flower? Does he mean an actual lotus flower, a physical lotus flower? This is not uh, a very difficult symbol to understand because traditionally in Buddhism, the lotus flower symbolizes awakening. Or you might say it symbolizes Buddha nature, ultimate truth, absolute samadhi, the source with a capital S. Sometimes we'll see paintings of the Buddha sitting on a lotus flower, or Buddhas emanating from a lotus flower, or a bodhisattva or Buddha holding up a lotus flower. So the lotus flower symbolizes this knowledge, this knowing, this reality with a capital R. So the monk says, what is this lotus flower when it's not yet emerged from the water? He actually puts it this way, how is it? So he's asking, what is it like, right? How is it, not what is it? How is it when this lotus flower is not yet emerged from the water? So what does he mean by emerged from the water? What is this water? Well, I think you have to kind of get this part of it. The water, let's just say it's the depth of your zazen. It's profound meditation, deep sitting, you might say shamatha, dhyana, or even samadhi, which is the absolute state of this dhyana, this shamatha. So the absolute state 
has no form, no color, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no pain, no relief from pain, no awakening, no relief from ignorance. It's an absolute state. Wang Po tried to describe it, and he probably went way too far by calling it glorious and mysterious peaceful joy, and that is all. How does Chimon describe this? Once again, the monk asking, how is it when the lotus flowers not yet emerge from the water? Shimon said, a lotus flower. If you ask me, what does a peach taste like? I would have to take a peach and stick it in your mouth and make you take a bite. I couldn't explain it any other way that you could really understand it. So the monk says, how is it when the lotus flower is not yet emerged from the depth of sitting? In other words, when you are in absolute samadhi, you're coming from, or you might say, because that is dualistic, it is just the source. Buddha nature, truth, mind with a capital M. And Chimon answers, mind is just mind. Not even a Buddha can say a word about this. It is just what it is. It can't be described. It's not derived from anything. It is the source. A lotus flower. So, even if the koan stopped right here, there's something important being expressed here. If we understand where the monk and Chimon are coming from, the monk questioning, first of all, setting up the second question he had, how is it when in the depth of samadhi there's just this perfect emanation of truth. And Chimon is coming from the place of really knowing that from the inside. And he can only answer with the question, how is it when the lotus flower is not yet emerged? He said, a lotus flower. Now the monk asked again, what about after it has emerged from the water? What is he asking here? So perhaps this monk had a deep experience of lotus flower, but still sees the world as somehow outside it. Now if we look at the poem of first rank, it goes like this. The apparent within the real, in the third watch of the night, 
Before the moon appears, no wonder when we meet, there's no recognition. This is total darkness. As the Heart Sutra put it, no form, no body, no mind, etc., etc. This is the lotus flower that has not yet emerged from the water. So once again, in the third watch of the night before the moon appears, no wonder when we meet there's no recognition. This is pure itself. It cannot be known. It can't be recognized by a subject. Or, as Wang Po put it, our original Buddha nature is in highest truth devoid of any atom of objectivity. Can't be recognized. Can't be seen as your object. You have to be it. You are it. But he may have had that experience, but doesn't know how to emerge it, to bring it out of this samadhi state, the depth of his zazen, and utilize it in the world of form and difficulty and stress. How many of us have had this experience? We can reach a very peaceful, clear state in our zazen. But the moment we get triggered by events and people, it seems to just fly away. It's gone. We don't know how to bring it into the world of form. Just to mention briefly a koan from the Muman Khan, we can get to the top of a hundred foot pole, but we don't, how to, we don't know how to proceed from the top of this hundred foot pole. Now at the top of a hundred foot pole, everything's far away. There's nothing but an expanse of vast space. Now if we stop there, what happens? We get stuck there. Can't move off of it. So the last line of the poem for first rank is, Still cherished in my heart is the beauty of earlier days. We start to cling to not only the experience of this peaceful state, but to the memory of it. And we can't bring it out. We can't use it. Hakuin described someone in this condition as a person keeping watch over the corpse in a coffin. We begin to, in our minds, cling to this happy, anxiety-free, clear, deep state as something as opposed to our everyday life of stress and being triggered. Or as Jean-Paul Sartre, very famous uh, existentialist, put it, hell is other people. We can have this state when we sit, cross our legs, and do our zazen, but then we emerge in hell as other people, or other things, or other situations. So this monk asked, what about after it 
this lotus flower has emerged from the water, has emerged from Zazen, has emerged from Samadhi. And Shimon answered, Lotus leaves. Are lotus leaves the lotus flower? Not exactly. They look like lily pads. They're broad and green. If you read about it in Wikipedia, they have a very uh, super hydrophobic coating. So when you see a picture of one of these lotus leaves, it's got water beaded up on it into almost purely uh, circular um, globe-like drops. The water doesn't spread. People eat these when they're young and tender. They're actually edible. And they're also sold on Amazon uh, because when they're mature, they're used to wrap food before cooking, kind of like making enchiladas in a corn husk. Some people also eat the lotus leaves of the blue lotus, and this is psychedelic, which I found very funny to discover. But Chimon answered, lotus leaves. So, what are these lotus leaves? There's lots of them. There are books. There are cushions. There's my friend John. There's that time I stubbed my toe. There are cell phones. There are arguments. There are car accidents. There are babies being born. There are 700,000 people dead of COVID-19. Lotus leaves. Can you get this? No matter what it is, it's still a part of the lotus. Where is Chimon coming from? So to really get this, you have to go to this place where Chimon is coming from, where everything you see, everything you do, everything you say, all the situations, whether you like them or not, are not apart from lotus flower, truth, the source, reality. I know you want someone to explain this further, but it can't be explained further. You have to directly experience it. And the way of doing this is mindfulness. Don't go halfway. When you're eating a sandwich, eat the sandwich. When you're walking down the street, walk. Then it's already lotus leaves. 
So we'll end there today.